Good morning. It's Friday, the 13th of October. Yes, it's Friday, the 13th. And this is Govindraj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital, and also currently experiencing an October heat wave. Our top stories and themes falling food prices bring down inflation sharply to 5.02%. The Israel Hamas war toll crosses 2,600. Indian markets pause again, oil steady, but US Treasury yields rise. IT companies start reporting expectedly weaker results but streets still disappointed with guidances. And Jindal bids for Go Air. Two conglomerates have a better chance at running airlines. Most Indians like watching movies in theaters for the big screen experience and the first day first show says the survey. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Food prices bring down inflation. After all the stress and strain in the last few months, India's consumer price index or CPI based inflation for September eased to 5.02% as against 6.83% in August according to data released by the National Statistical Office on Thursday evening. Going by the table as I have done, food prices seem to have dropped the most from a 26% inflation level for vegetables in August to just 3.4% in September. Cereals were a little lower too at 10.9% as compared to 11.85 in the previous month pulses which include the dals were a little higher at about 16% as compared to 13% spices were stubbornly holding at the same level at around 23% while edible oils inched up a little though still at a negative and i repeat negative 14% food and beverages were also down from around 9% in the previous month that's august to about 6.3% in september Now the inflation has come back to the Reserve Bank of India's comfort level of below 6% after a gap of 2 months. Inflation just to remind you was at about 7.5% in September 22. Food inflation fell to 6.5% in September against 9.6. Now this is the overall food. I repeat 6.5% in September against 9.6% in August. Rural inflation was a little higher at 5.3 as compared to urban at 4.6. Now meanwhile the index of industrial production this figure comes out today as well or rather yesterday for the month of august note that it is not september came at 10.3 versus 5.7 in july and for august the iip growth rate was minus 0.7% data released by the national statistical office again showed that the manufacturing sector's output increased by 9.3% in august 23 mining production rose so did power output all in all sufficient data to give policy makers some breathing room at least for the weekend markets and war it's not all good news elsewhere in the world though the israel hamas war has now claimed over 2500 people on both sides as israeli jets now pound the gaza strip markets are still looking at the war as something that will not spread beyond this specific region at least at this point which is why oil is still broadly holding around the 87 dollars a barrel mark The good news however on a slightly separate note is that the dollar has shown some signs of weakening. Bloomberg said that before US inflation numbers came out last evening that a gauge of the dollar is set for the longest run of losses in over 3 years. That gauge had advanced for two straight quarters and reached the strongest in almost a year last week on bets that US interest rates may remain higher for longer which they may do but I'll come to that in a moment. Consumer prices rose 3.7% in the United States in September from a year earlier, marginally higher than forecast. The monthly gain was also a little higher than expected with the index up 0.4% from August. 
You might have, of course, noted that CPI numbers in the United States and India are being released on the same day. So Treasury yields rose after that key inflation data number, and that, of course, could determine whether the Federal Reserve raises interest rates again next month. And the reason we talk about interest rates, particularly in the United States, is because it affects everything, including foreign portfolio investments into countries like India and whether they stay here longer or shorter. Back in the United States, weekly jobless claims out at the same time as consumer inflation came at 209,000 unchanged from the previous week's revised levels at the Wall Street Journal. So all this means that the Federal Reserve could still hike rates as it is being feared or has it been hinted or threatened, depending on how you see it, to bring down inflation, of course. Back home, benchmark indices snapped their two-day winning streak as weak quarterly results from Tata Consultancy Services in the second quarter took investor funds away from IT companies. The BSE Sensex ended at 66,408, down 65 points. The Nifty 50, meanwhile, was down 17 points at 19,794. So now the tech results and looking at the future. The tech results are beginning to flow in after TCS the day before. It was Infosys yesterday and HCL Tech. Infosys on Thursday reported a 3% year-on-year growth in consolidated net profits with the quarter ended September to 6,212 crore. Consolidated revenue grew 7% year-on-year to 38,994 crore rupees. Importantly, the Bangalore-headquartered IT major trimmed its sales forecast for the year, reflecting the slowdown in spending by banks and other companies or clients in information technology projects, as well as battling inflation and higher interest rates in markets like the United States. Revenue will grow between 1% to 2.5% in the year through March 24, Infosys said Thursday in a statement, something that analysts did not like, and I'll come to that in a moment. In July, it had already trimmed its growth forecast to a range of 1% to 3.5%, while analysts on an average expect 5% growth. Infosys is trying to move to higher margin technologies as India's more than $245 billion software services struggles with a hazy growth outlook, Bloomberg added, saying that rival TCS, whose larger reported quarterly profit that narrowly missed estimates, saying customers are conserving cash to prepare for a difficult period ahead. It also said that companies are postponing projects in the United States and beyond citing an uncertain economic outlook. Infosys board recommended an interim dividend of 18 rupees per share. Salil Parikh, CEO of Infosys, said that they had their highest large deals value at $7.7 billion in the second quarter spread across all verticals and geographies. The CFO Nilanjan Roy said that the second quarter operating margin of 21% demonstrates the early benefits of recently unveiled margin improvement plan and is a clear reflection of the company's ability to continuously identify opportunities for improving operational efficiencies. And that's something that I will come to shortly with our guest in a moment too. Interestingly, like TCS Infosys 2 reported a further decline in attrition, a fresh sign that job hopping is slowing down in this post-pandemic phase. The attrition rate on a 12-month trailing basis was down to 14.6% from 17.3% a quarter ago. And net staff headcount was down 7,530 to 328,764 people. That's 328,000 people in Infosys right now. ADRs, or American Depository Receipts of Infosys, fell about 5% in pre-open trade on NYSC. And in the domestic market, the stock ended nearly 2% down. So now to get a sense on how the street was looking at these results so far and ahead, 
I reached out to Rahul Jain, Vice President at Dolat Capital and IT analyst, and I began by asking him whether he was surprised by any of these numbers so far. Of course, we were expecting weak numbers, but more importantly, there are severe guidance cuts. So the weakness is also not up to the mark of expectation. It is even weaker than what we were thinking. And in some of the cases, probably the number for the quarter is okay, but the guidance nevertheless is down. And there are some very, very serious comments like TCS said that you don't have visibility beyond fortnight. So those kind of things make you think like this not getting over anytime soon either. So why do you think this is happening, Rahul? Or rather, why is it happening? Uh, so I think we were so very sure for last several quarters that macro thought process is weakening every quarter and all this comments around higher interest rate or soft landing and those kind of thought process as long as you see indecisiveness it impacts your growth or discretionary spend in some way or the other so it's always good if you have sharper shock and then sharper comeback but if you see this kind of a weakness we are anticipating for almost like five quarter now so it's like a slow pain that we are going through. The good part only so far in the two, three results that have come is that at least the TCV signings are not bad. So we are at least accumulating that for next year. Uh, so this may be a dull year, but there is some glimpse of hope in FI25. What is TCV, Rahul? TCV is the total contract value or let's say order book in a simple context. And what we saw is that for TCS, it's been well, and for Infosys, it has been very record high in this quarter. So does that mean that clients are changing the way they are contracting? It could be a slight, that kind of a thing as well. But more importantly, what we heard from TCS yesterday is that the new orders are flowing into revenue in the subsequent quarter, but there's a leaking bucket. So your existing customer are spending much lesser with you. So those kind of an impact are net outcomes. So if you see their TCV is growing in the range of 10-11% from a last 12-month basis and they may do close to let's say 4% growth for this year, which in some way implies that there is a 5-6% to cut which is happening on the existing portfolio of their customer either because of project completion which are not getting backfilled by new assignments or there could be simply stop or the reduction in their way they were spending earlier. Right. And what's the sense that you're getting from these results about the preparedness of Indian IT in terms of the new AI, generative AI, chat GPT and that world? So if you look even at Accenture for that matter, which potentially is the largest company in this domain, we are seeing this pain even in their number and their outlook. So it's not impacted by generative AI for any manner. Everybody is getting prepared in some form or shape how to take care of opportunity that may eventually come from this domain whenever companies are investing big projects into it. So we have our companies doing pilot projects uh, with more than 100 different cohorts. So they are preparing well on the, those lines, but the opportunity itself has not become so big to cover up for any problem that we are facing at this point and it could be just like any other fad that we have seen in the past so everything matters but is it a needle mover i think it's too early to call out that way 
Right. So that's the external part. But when you look at how companies are operationally performing, for example, we are seeing uh, that attrition levels are down. TCS is saying that, you know, people need to come back to office, which should hopefully result in better, let's say, cooperation, innovation, and all of that in future. And maybe there are other steps that they're doing. So that's the broader question. What's the internal diagnosis? I don't think some of these things are related to build a better environment from a cooperation coordination point of view because just few quarters back we were listening that 25 by 25 by TCS which was like you just have available people in the office so I think those kind of things keep getting evolved we were surprised in a very different way at that point of time now you have people who say that you know you work better when you are in office so there's all kind of view in the world I think asking people to come back to office is could be also one way to address the problem of excess capacity that you have today. Because after working for more than three years now in a remote fashion, there could be a lot of people who would like to not go back to their location where they used to work. So some of these could turn out to be an attrition over a period of time. Right. And any other internal diagnosis in terms of cost, operating margins, net profit margins and so on? So I think margin-wise, all companies have fared and which also indirectly says that company understand that there's very little they could do to solve the growth aspect of it. But margin is somewhere they have to work extraordinarily hard to cover up for the earnings impact to be much lower. So let's say TCS improved the margin by 100 bips QQ that was quite commendable and that restricted the EPS downtick to a very larger extent because of the weak growth. So I think these things they have proven very well in the past. We have seen it in COVID as well. So margin management is is the focus right now till we see the growth coming back. Right. Rahul, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Jindal wants to fly. Jindal Power, led by Naveen Jindal, has submitted an expression of interest for GoFirst, the airline that's been shut since May this year and undergoing an insolvency process. Since then, the business standard is reporting. GoFirst's resolution professional invited expression of interest for the carrier sale in July and sources told business standard that JPL or Jindal Power has filed an EOI for GoFirst in the National Company Law Tribunal. These sources have indicated apparently that the company is currently evaluating the business and the offers on the table. A source told Business Standard that the company believes the aviation market in India needs more players to enhance competition and benefit Indian passengers. And this EOI is slowly to assess the feasibility of acquiring the business. Now, JPL is part of the OP Jindal Group and possesses 3.4 gigawatts of thermal power generation assets. It's one of the companies owned by Naveen Jindal, the youngest son of OP Jindal, along with Jindal Steel and Jindal Power being another prominent company in the group. So here's the question. Even as this bid appears to be in a preliminary evaluative stage, the question is, should conglomerates get into the highly tricky business like airlines? Of course, this is a question that keeps coming up, but I somehow never tire of posing the question, if only to see whether the answers are changing. It's interesting that the entry of the Tata Group through AirAsia, Vistara and then Air India was the first conglomerate to enter the aviation space, at least in the post-liberalization era. Tata's, of course, owned Air India once upon a time, and it is precisely this nostalgia that pulled them back into the fold or mess, depending on how you look at it. Loosely defined, I would argue that these businesses, which will survive if the airline doesn't do well, 
though it could suck out capital which could have gone potentially elsewhere, like an electric car project or a battery project in the Tata Group. Vijay Malia too had other businesses, including the profitable United Spirits and stakes in other companies like Hext Pharmaceuticals, which became Sanofi in India, in which he was director and chairman later for some 33 years. But the airline proved to be his Achilles heel. Earlier, it was mostly entrepreneurs from different backgrounds who set up airlines. Perhaps the majority of them were from the travel and ticketing industry, like Jet Airways earlier and Indigo now. Jet Airways did not survive and Indigo is doing well today. Other founders included the Mania, set up by a poultry entrepreneur from Maharashtra and Modi Lift, set up by SK Modi, sibling of BK Modi, who ran successful franchises like Modi Xerox and Modi Olivetti. The Luft, by the way, was Lufthansa and the Mania Airways do not exist today. There are some examples here and there, like SpiceJet, which is also in trouble. But GoAir obviously came from the Nasli Vardia Group, which owns the successful Britannia and Bombay Dying companies. So this is the important part. It's likely that a possible fear that a Kingfisher situation or a Kingfisher-like situation might emerge may have caused them to file for bankruptcy. And then on to the newest airline, the 13-month-old Akasa, which has been set up by a professional and first-generation entrepreneur Vinay Dubey, a former Jet Airways and GoAir or GoFirst CEO, who started off Akasa with investments from the late investor Rakesh Junjunwala. So to come back to Jindal, yes, the airline industry can be tough. Is there a success formula there? Well, it's not clear. Both conglomerates and entrepreneurs have failed. Though most came from elsewhere, which is not unexpected because the sector only opened up in the last 30 years. If Indigo reflects success, perhaps it's also to do with the hard focus on numbers, ruthless efficiency, and talent at the top. Remember, it was co-founded along with another American airline executive. And all of them, more importantly, keeping a low profile. Time to bring out the scotch. If you love your single malls, you might obviously be aware that you constitute a very small sliver of the alcohol market. Well, an India-UK free trade agreement is being negotiated and one of the outcomes expected is a reduction in duties on imported whiskey from 150%, yes, 150% to something much lower. If that lower figure materializes, let's say 100% for now, as is being rumored, could that make a difference? And I'll come to that shortly. The International Spirits and Wines Association of India is a representative body of the national and international premium spirits and wine brands in India. And big names like Diageo, Bacardi, Campari, Moet, Hennessy and Pernod Ricard, among others, are a part of it. The ISWAI is, by the way, distinct from the Confederation of Indian Alcoholic Beverage Companies, which represent the big Indian companies and brands, and of course, the lion's share of the market. The ISWAI's position is that if the FTA or the Free Trade Agreement talks deliver a substantial reduction in India's 150% tariff on Scotch whiskey, exports of Scotch will also be boosted and consumers will have more choice as smaller producers enter the market. It will also benefit India-made foreign liquor, IMFL brands, by reducing import costs. In 2022, the total Indian spirits market amounted to about 367 million cases, with Indian whiskey selling about 234 million cases. Yes, so Indians by and large like the dark stuff. In comparison, Scotch whiskey accounted for about 8.1 million cases in India, less than 3% of the total whiskey market. Scotch whiskey, by the way, is the world's most traded spirit, with worldwide consumption of about 1.3 billion bottles, but it's less than half the volume of Indian whiskey production. So I spoke with Neeta Kapoor, CEO of the ISWAI, and I began by asking her how she was expecting or anticipating the UK FTA trade agreement to pan out and whether that would bring down prices. 
the context of what you're asking me, yes, you're right. The rationalization of duty at the customs level is at 150%. Now, obviously, if that duty gets rationalized, we will have to see, Govind, what the states will do. Because the states have a significant share of the duties on Alcobev. So if the MRP share of a state ranges between 60 to 80 percent, I'm not so sure at this stage in terms of what will be the impact on prices. It's only if the states hold their horses and allow the FTA to kind of settle down, then you may see an impact on prices. But it's the state that influences MRP. Right. So let's say if it was a friendly state as opposed to a not so friendly state like Karnataka, which just raised tariffs, what could that be? I think you would expect a price rationalization on the premise that any friendly state, you would see an impact of about 5 to 8 percent on prices. All things being status quo at this stage, i.e. the FTA goes through, there is a rationalization at the duty level and the state holds their duties. Right. So in a broader context, is there any other trigger or potential trigger for prices to come down? Not at the moment. On the contrary, the manufacturing prices need to go up. We haven't got a price increase for a while now. And are you held back from increasing prices or is that just market dynamics? No, in most states, the prices are controlled by the states. Except for a few states, i.e. Maharashtra, which is a free pricing, Karnataka, which is a slab-based system. All right. So it is really, like I said earlier, it is how the states replay it out. So as of now, status quo, no MRP rationalizations as of now. Right. And of the 367 million cases, roughly, of Indian spirits, whiskey is about 234. So how much of that is imported and how much of that is domestic right now? So if I look at the total industry, the important products, which is i.e. the finished product as well as the bulk product, would be close to about 2.8 to 3% of the total industry. So which is really, I mean, a rounding off error as far as the Indian industry as well as the Indian spirits industry is concerned. Right. So conversely, about 97, 98% is really alcohol or spirits that are produced within the country. Slightly broader question again on trends. There has been some reporting on how some trends have changed post-pandemic or through pandemic and then post-pandemic, including the return of some of the white spirits. Could you take us through some trends that you're seeing in terms of demand shifts, particularly within categories? Yeah, so Govind, two interesting insights that we have seen after the pandemic is that people are preferring to buy quality products. So there is a shift in consumption pattern at the price point of 750 rupees and above for a 750 ml. So that to a certain extent is what we are seeing that the premiumization is taking place across the country. So that is a good trend for the industry that you know there is now at least a growth happening in the 750 rupees and above price point. India will continue to be a browns market for a very long time. When I say browns, I talk about scotch, then followed by IMFL, followed by vodka, and followed by gin. Obviously, brandy and rum are included. So that is the structure of the market going. That's one trend that we are seeing, i.e. premiumization. In terms of white spirits, going forward, we will see a growth taking place in vodka, which is bouncing back after the pandemic. Okay. So you talked about how there have been shifts, particularly with white spirit, 
increasing, again, post-pandemic trend, which seems to have stayed on. How are you looking at the next six months or the rest of the year in terms of trends again, Anita? So this is the best time of the year because, you know, festival season is coming up, Bowen. So we will see a definite increase in consumption on account of festivals, on account of the wedding season. So I would be optimistic with a double-digit growth. Like I said earlier, post-pandemic premiumization is on the rise and we expect that to continue. And would you say that these are the highest numbers that the industry has ever seen? 23 was the highest number industry has ever seen. It, in fact, bounced back after the pandemic and a year-on-year growth was at 12%. That's a pretty handsome growth, Govind. Okay. Whiskey brands like Indri are making waves globally. What is that telling us and what are the sort of export opportunities, if so? And does that sort of brand India image in the context of spirits, I'm sure it improves, but how much? So... We should watch this trend carefully because white Indian single malts, including Indri, Godavan, Longitude and others, you know, have kind of made their mark and there's Paul John also there. Looking at how the global market will shape up. So I'm not going to count my chickens before they are hatched because the numbers are very small moving and I wouldn't want to kind of make any judgments at this point of time. Let's just wait and watch for another couple of years because malt is a long-drawn game and it needs consistency of product and it needs, you know, maturation. It needs all the fine details. So it's a good beginning is I'm happy to note that. Right, Nita. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's go to the movies. A survey has said that 98% of Indians believe that the real experience of a movie can only be brought alive on the big screen, a report released on Thursday said. It added that 90% of Indians consider movie theatres as their usual go-to option for out-of-home leisure experiences. This, of course, plays totally to my biases. But bear in mind, the survey is from online ticketing firm Book My Show, which obviously benefits if people buy tickets for something or the other, as opposed to watching it on their large screen TVs at home. Book My Show released, it's the Cinephiles, decoding India's favourite entertainment choice, movies on the big screen report, based on a survey of 5,000 respondents on its platform across 650 cities in India. The survey showed that nearly two in every three Indians think of going to a movie theatre at least once a fortnight or more. The main reason for the love of theatre is the experience it provides. 74% of respondents chose to watch a movie in the theatre for the immersive experience created by a larger screen and high audio quality, the report said and quoted by Business Standard. The first day first show tradition continues as a sacred tradition for many fans, inspiring cheers, whistles and endless applause at the sight of beloved stars on the big screen, a book my show official said or perhaps gushed, adding that 35% of the Gen Z audience born between 97 and 2012 opt for that first day first show. Now, whether all of this is translating into box office numbers, it's not very clear. But it does happen, particularly when you have a series of hits as Bollywood is turning out right now. So that was not the case earlier. That's it from me then. Have a great weekend and bye for now. This was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. 
thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at thecore.in. Thank you for listening.